the law of the spirit of life. We're going to move on in Romans. We started in chapter 8, uh, verse 1 last week, and now we're moving on to, uh, to verse 2. And uh, Romans 8, 2 says this. First of all, let's look at what Romans 8, 1 says. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the second verse goes on, and this is what we're, we, where we want to camp out today. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay? Now, last week, we celebrated the fact that there is no condemnation. Say no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. And we, we, we were encouraged to challenge ourselves in terms of this rhetorical question. And the, the rhetorical question is this. What part of no don't you understand? When God says to you there is no condemnation, no means no. Now there is a condition, but bearing in mind that the condition has been met, then, then the promise is steadfast. What part of no don't you understand? When the enemy, we said, or your brother or, or sister or your, 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 your co-worker or your relative or the man down the street, when anyone tries to uh, hurl accusations your way and bring you under a load of guilt and shame for sins that have already been taken care of on the cross, you have to ask yourself that question because in your own heart there will be doubt and be, cons be, be concerned. But you say to yourself, what part of no self don't you understand? Because the word of God says very plainly and straightforwardly in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we established last week clearly and simply that in, in what many to feel what many feel is the greatest book of the Bible, Romans, in the greatest chapter of the Bible in many people's estimation, which is the eighth chapter, we found the greatest promise in the Bible, which is in verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That is that there is no condemnation. We can, we can shout all day about the fact that there's no condemnation, right? And we like to do that, right? We shouted and rejoiced about a lot of things this morning, didn't we? And we can certainly rejoice and celebrate that. We, we can believe that it's true and we can, we can embrace it on a, on, a, on, a, on a cognitive level. But the Apostle Paul in this passage wants us to have a firm foundation for our understanding for this wonderful, of this wonderful promise. And so that's why he has to continue on in verse 2 continues the thought and supplies us with a reason why the assertion in verse 1 is true. And that's what the word because leads us to. And so he says to us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, or in some of the other translations, the law of the Spirit of life, which I'll use interchangeably, has set us free, turn to your neighbor and say, we've been set free, has set us free from the law 
of sin and death. Now, our challenge this morning is to try to get a bit of an understanding as to what the law of the spirit of life is and what the law of the spirit of death is. And we have a contrast here that we need to understand today. Notice that we're talking about two laws. And just to supply a little background, if you've read chapter 7, and you should really read the context if you're going to read it at all, you should. And it, I would really challenge you to read through the book of Romans. It'll really fortify your spiritual life. It's a heav heav heavily doctrinal book, but it, it will, it'll build you up and, and, and enable you to understand to a greater degree salvation by grace through faith. But in chapter 7, Paul engages in this discussion of the struggle that's inherent in our attempts as people to fulfill the requirements of the law under our own strength. You know what it's like, don't you, to try to do the right thing in, under your own power. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And we understand that there, there is a struggle. Paul, in chapter 7, bemoans the ongoing plight of people like you and me, regular folks, right? And for that matter, all of humanity who find themselves unable to do what's right even when they want to. Can anybody relate to that? Now, now biblical scholars hold various opinions as to whether Paul is referring explicitly to the struggle on the part of Christians in chapter 7 or the struggle on the part of the natural man in the more the broader, more general concern. But I think that Paul is talking about a struggle that is endemic to all of humanity on the one hand, but particularly applicable to the Jew that he's writing to the Jewish community who've, who have been under the old covenant. They were given the law, but they demonstrated through their history that the law, though given by God, was impossible for them to keep in its entirety and with any degree of consistency. And so the concern extends to all of humankind, and even as Christians, we encounter a form of that struggle, don't we? What, what Paul wants his readers to understand is that for those who are in Christ Jesus, the conflict has been settled once and for all. There is no longer any unresolved conflict between the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life because Christ Jesus has defeated by his death, burial, and resurrection the law of sin and death. And so the reason that there is no condemnation for us in Christ is that, first of all, Christ died for our sins. And as we go on in our Christian life, we're reassured that there remains no condemnation ongoingly. That's not just an initial promise when you became a believer, when you, when you turned your life over to God, that in that moment there was no condemnation, but it, it remains the status of your, of your relationship with God. There is no condemnation. And in Christ, because we've been set free from the law of sin and death, we've been delivered, we've been re released, and we've been, been, been liberated from sin and all of its effects. Now, the law of sin and death can be seen in the Old Testament. And I, I used to, used to, it started to irk me when I would, I would remember for a while back in, years ago, I would go to weddings and people would, would, would speak the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 over people getting married. Um, but I, the problem I had with that was since we're no longer under the old covenant, um, they didn't give them the curses that go along with that. And if you read Deut Deuteronomy 28, it's, it starts out very cheerily. Um, if you do all the commandments of the Lord, you know, your crops will grow and your, your, uh, your, uh, you know, your, your wife will have a lot of babies or whatever. Or, you know, it, you'll be happy, happy, happy. But if you don't do these and you just flip all that and, and turn it around and, 
and the opposite of it, and it, it got pretty, it got pretty dicey. Uh, and and that is the that is the core of that is the basis of the law of sin and death. The law is given to Moses in the Old Testament with the stipulations: you do this, you'll be blessed. Don't do this, you're not blessed. Okay. Now. There's some other discussion that goes into this that I won't elaborate on. As we go over the next several weeks, some of this other stuff will be drawn into this discussion. But what happens is there is what we term the conventional wisdom of the Old Testament. And there's a bit of a tension between, there's quite a bit of tension between grace in the New Testament. But even in the Old Testament, there's a bit of tension between God's mercy and his tendency towards graciousness and conventional wisdom, because conventional wisdom in the Old Testament is that you do good, things will go good for you. You do bad, things will go bad for you. You read through the Psalms, and the psalmist is like going crazy pulling his hair out all through the Psalms because I don't understand it because I thought that when you do good, you get good, and when you do bad, you get bad, but I did good and I got bad, and the guy that did bad, he's doing way better than I am, and some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And so there, that's where the book of Job comes in, because the book of Job comes in as this, 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 this wonderful counterpoint to that, to show that God is God and kind of does what he wants to do, and, and God will, 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 can show mercy on who he will have mercy and render judgment on who he will. But the thing about it is this, the world doesn't work that way, but particularly under grace, the world in Christ does not. The outside world may work like that at times, but and that's why, as a Christian, you have to be aware of, of that kind of thinking as you look around to others and you get mad because there are people that have done more dirt than you, but they seem to be more blessed than you. Well, no, you're all blessed the same. They just have more apparent blessings. If you're in Christ, you're all blessed, right? But the thing about it is it, it, we, we don't measure on that rigid scale. Now, I'm getting, I don't want to get too bound, wound up in this, but the point I'm saying is this. There is this contrast between... Sin and the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life that's, that's played out in this, in, this, in this broader discussion. And the thing about it is this, under grace, I, I don't know where you'd rather be. Maybe because it's funny because, you know, any of you guys in like, don't, don't raise your hand. But I wonder if any of you are into like, if you're kind of like closet Buddhist or something. Or you're into, you're into karma. And, you know, and it's, you think that the universe is solely what goes around and comes. In fact, you're into reincarnation. And I was listening to my talk about reincarnation. Because if you're like a good person, you're going to, and you die, and you come back, in a, in, I guess, in a higher form, right? You, you, a more realized experience. But if you're a rascal, then you might come back as a, as a raccoon or something. And then I was thinking, I guess some people find that attractive. But actually, from what I understand, people in, and that's this point, people in, in, in some of the cultures where that kind of thinking goes around, it's, that's kind of scary. Nobody just, I, mean, I don't think anybody just really willingly embraces it. That's not kind of the way I want the world to work. And I'm so glad that though I, I believe in the ultimate law of sowing and reaping, right? That's a, it's a law of the universe, and it's certainly a spiritual law. I'm so glad for grace. I'm so glad for the cross. I'm so glad for a God who loved me so much that he sent his son to bear my sins in his body on that cross. 
So that, yeah, sometimes I deserve a raw deal, and you do too. But mercy, grace is when God bestows on us freely that which is not deserved by us. And mercy is when God withholds from us that which we do deserve. Now, so earlier in Paul, in, in Romans, Paul has... Let me go back a little bit. On one hand, the New Testament makes it clear that the law in itself is good, right? The law, I'm talking about not, you know, I'm not talking about the uh, municipal code of, of the city of Los Angeles, uh, particularly not that stupid jaywalking law. <laughs> we, guys, we could get together and go down there, right? We got, there was an article in the Times about that jaywalking thing on Friday, and you guys know I, I got busted, and I got a $200 jaywalking ticket in my wallet for stepping off the curb after the numbers started flashing. <laughs> and I walked up, and this guy was sitting, he was sitting there leaning on the and said, you know, you just stepped on the door. I said, he said, I've written 250 tickets at this intersection. And I was like, and I was all nice and stuff, because I don't want to get, like, beat down or anything, right? And, uh, <laughs> but after I was like, and I said, how much is this? He said, well, we can't talk about prices. I said, I guess not. Uh, how about I give you 20 to <laughs> But well, we're not talking about that kind of life, but we're talking about law. We're talking about the laws of God as, as, as contained in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, right? And, and the New Testament makes it clear that the law of God in and of itself is good. It conveys God's blueprint for living, right? It, it provides boundaries that enable us to live within the confines of our created purpose. But in our chronic inability as humans to fulfill the law completely, it shows us our weaknesses. And it ultimately points us to the, our need for the Savior, our need for Jesus. And earlier in Romans, Paul reminds his readers in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of God's glorious purpose. And then a little later in Romans 6.23, he comes around and he says, that this is the way it works. First of all, you know I said a few chapters back that, that all have sinned, and then here's the problem in Romans 6. And we're all in hot water here reading Romans up to this point. He says, the wages of sin is death. He concludes that the wages of sin is death, but thankfully he doesn't stop there. Don't you hate if somebody start with the bad news and don't give you the good news? But Paul is playing bad news, good news, and he gives you the bad news first, and then he turns around on the heels of that and gives his readers the good news. He says in the same sentence, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See the contrast? Life versus death. Wage versus gift. And so now here in chapter 8, uh, uh, condemnation versus freedom, right? Life versus death and the law of the old covenant superseded and overpowered by a higher law. And so the reason that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus is not that sin is without consequence. It's not that the penalty does not apply. It certainly remains true that all of us have sinned and come short of God's glorious purpose. It's still true that the wages of sin is death. And the law of death is this. Human beings left to themselves are unable to obey God's law and therefore subject to the penalty of their disobedience. That's law number one. He sums it up succinctly. He says, all of sin, the wages of sin is death. That's law number one. 
When I was learning to fly a number of years ago, I had to attend something called ground school. Sounds really glamorous and exotic, doesn't it? Ground school. Now, yeah, I've, the first time I did, went, did ground school, I just went over to a, a guy who was a ground instructor. I went over to his house and sat across from his dining room table, and he skillfully talked me through the entire curriculum. And, and I went and got a 92 on my uh, exam the first time. And, and, uh, ground school. And one of the first things you learn in ground school uh, is about the four forces. Sounds like science fiction, doesn't it? But this is, th this is uh, basically aeronautic, aero, aer aeronautics or aerodynamics 101, right? So in the process of, a, of an airplane lifting off from a runway and making its way through the air, there are four forces, actually. We could call them four laws that are at work. There's the law of gravity. Now, Isaac Newton and Johannes Kepler helped us to understand and to, to begin to explore the laws of gravity, which, you know, and, and the science gets really geeky and nerdy, right? So we don't need to get into that. I do have my glasses up here. I could put them on if I need to look more nerdy. But suffice it to say, for the purpose of aerodynamics, that gravity acts per perpendicular to the longitudinal axis of an airplane. Or to put it more simply, what goes up? And so, and if you want something that's down to go up, you've got to figure out a way to deal with this law, the law of gravity. Somebody say amen. amen. I just want to make sure you haven't gone to sleep on those nice chairs. <laughs> because if you want it to go up, you've got you to deal with it because that airplane on the tarmac What's happening is it is like you and me. It's being pulled toward the center of the earth by this force, gravity. It's a law. It works every time. That's why there are things in this room that we didn't strap down. We didn't have to strap down these keyboards to the platform, right? We didn't have to nail, unless we didn't want it moved, but it, we, didn't, we, we, never, we never come in here and find all of our stuff on the ceiling. It just never happens. When you go home today, I guarantee you, your stuff will not be on the ceiling. It'll be on the floor where you left it. Some of you should not have left so much stuff on the floor, but that's where it will be. <laughs> now, there's another law, and it's the law of drag. And, and the law of drag, you could really say it, it is a drag. Uh, it has to do with forces acting opposite to the relative motion of a moving object. And in aviation, there are a few kinds of drag. There's what's called induced drag. There's Parasite drag, no, it doesn't have to do with any insects or anything. And there's profile drag, the skin, the surface of the aircraft creates drag if it's not smooth. But, dra you know, so uh, drag acts against the forward motion of the aircraft. However, the law of drag is countered by another law, and that's the law of thrust. And so, you know, you, you can, you know, you got drag out there, and you got to get an, an airplane moving, and you strap on a a piston engine to a small plane or a couple of jet engines on a big airliner and you crank them up and, and there you go. And you're out there on your way to, to Texas to your family reunion creating through the, the sky at 500 miles an hour because that, those jet engines are overcoming drag among other things. But back to gravity. What goes up must come down, right? Uh, and what is down will stay down because there's that inexorable pull of gravity pulling everything towards the center 
of the earth. Gravity is a bad boy. Gravity doesn't play. Gravity is tough. You know what I'm talking about? If you've fallen lately, you know what I mean. It is both useful and annoying. It causes you to drop your smartphone and crack your screen. It causes you to slip and fall and be embarrassed. It causes things that you left precariously perched on the edge of a table to fall and break. But as long as you and don't drive too crazy on the freeway, gravity does cool things like keep your car on the road. I saw a car, I saw a car flipped over the other day. And I flipped, it was on the on-ramp. And it's like, how did you flip the car if you haven't even got on the freeway yet? <laughs> you defied gravity and flipped the car over. I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. But gravity, you know, does good things. It does things that annoy you, but it keeps your car on the ground. It keeps you from floating away while you're walking down the street. Gravity. The law of sin and death, I think, is a lot like gravity. And it's a law like gravity that is counteracted by another law. Do you, you hear what I'm saying? Unabated and unopposed, gravity pulls us down. And unabated and unopposed, the law of sin and death pulls us and presses us down. So you can sing, I believe I can fly, all you want, till the cows come home. But the law of sin and death will keep you from realizing the best that God has for you in your life. The law of sin and death will thwart you at every turn until you turn your life over to Jesus Christ and rely on a greater power, the power of the law of the spirit of life. The law of sin and death will, 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 will bind you and hold you and will, will, will constrain you. And some of us found out that it took more than good intentions to live a life that pleases God. Some of us can testify that until we surrendered our lives to Christ, until we experienced the indwelling of the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, that no matter how hard we tried, the law of sin and death just kept on pulling us down. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let me, let me make this plain for you. In case you're struggling and maybe you haven't come to that place of faith commitment to where you said, you know, I really want to follow Jesus. And you try and you try and you fail. And I want you to know the reason why is because without the help of the Spirit, without the law of the Spirit of life being applied, the law of sin and death wins every time. It's like gravity. Without lift or some other, some other contrary force. Gravity wins every time. And without the law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of death will win every time. And even as Christians, we're, when we are unaware of this conflict and uninformed of the power that indwells us and unsubmitted to Christ, to his lordship, we find that law still trying to work in us and on us, still trying to pull us down. The law of sin and death is kind of like the law of gravity. You see, you don't make an airplane fly by acting as though gravity doesn't exist. Huh? You don't get a 747 off the ground because somehow, mysteriously, the law of gravity is going to be suspended in, the, in your case for the duration of your flight. You don't deal with it by acting like it's not there. You deal with it by facing it head on and countering it with another law or a greater power. 
talked about gravity. What goes up must come down. And if you want something that's down to go up, you've got to, you're going to have to deal with that law of gravity. But just as the law of thrust overcomes the law of drag, there is this other law in aerodynamics, the law of lift, not L-Y-F-T, the, the driver service. Are they gone now already? Anybody got here by Lyft today? Anybody got here by Uber today? Wow, some hands in the house. Anybody got here by my car today? Me and my... <laughs> Remember in the old days, I would say, you might get here by the RTD. How many of y'all remember the RTD? Uh, they, they call it the MTA, believe me. It's just still the RTD. <laughs> it was the MTA back in the 60s. They said, well, let's change the name, and maybe the buses will get hipper. <laughs> they changed the name, and the buses got worse. And then they said, let's go back to MTA, and then we'll have trains. We'll call them Metro. And then we'll, you know, anyway, let me get off that. But listen, just as the law of thrust overcomes the law of drag, there's this law. You take this thing called an airfoil. You say, what's an airfoil? It must be foil that you wave around here. No, that's, that's a technical name for a wing of an airplane. And the wing has what's called camber. It has curvature on the top. And what happens is that you get this, this wing, this airfoil, moving through the relative wind or the air, right? And because of Bernoulli's principle, we're talking a lot of science up off in here today, right? But because of Bernoulli's law, the, the shape of the wing will cause there to be an area of, of high pressure beneath the, the wing and an area of low pressure above. And that, in turn, causes the airplane to rise. And so there you go. You, you go off into, into uh, the wild blue yonder. Now listen, stay with me, because I'm going somewhere this, with this. Paul says there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ because the old law of sin and death is overcome and superseded by another law, the law of the Spirit who gives life. Now listen, the new law is this, that no matter what you have done, no matter where you are from, no matter what you've been through, through God's love, an answer has been given. Through Christ's sacrifice, forgiveness has been provided, releasing us from sin's penalty, but not only that, sin's power. And through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have been empowered to do what we previously were incapable of doing because of the law of sin and death. That's what he says in 623. He puts it very succinctly. The old law is that the wages of sin is death. The new law is this, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Paul has explained how powerful sin is, and we may desire to please God. We might try to obey his law, but our, our human nature is too weak to oppose the power uh, 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 or the law, if you will, of sin. The good news this morning is that God frees people from the power of sin. I wonder, can I get a witness in here this morning? And when he frees them, he frees them completely. That's why Jesus said, the, he whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. He forgives our sin. He gives us right standing with God. And he does these things based not upon law, but based upon his grace towards us. Sin is like a law that tries to control us and rule us, but God made another law that would free people from the law of sin. And Paul's not talking about, in this case, another written law, but a new law which not only tells us what we ought to do, but empowers us to live a life that pleases God. 
the law of the spirit of life. See, Jeremiah wrote about such a law in Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. He talked about, he said there would be a time when there would be, it wouldn't be a written law, but there would be this law that, that's not written on tablets of stone, but written on the hearts and minds of people. You know what that's like? Because you remember when you, were, when you were a legalist? Do you remember when you were, when you were, you were bound up by the, the, the need to try to f fulfill the law and please God and do the right thing? Or maybe you were not a legalist. Maybe you were an anarchist and you were just living like crazy. And there was a part of you that knew you were wrong and wanted to do better and wanted to do right. And, and, you, and you couldn't pull it together. And the law of God and the word of God and the truth and simple moral principles were staring you in the face. When, and Jeremiah says there's going to come a time when it's not going to be, they're going to go look up the Ten Commandments. Well, here they are in here. Or look on the tablets of stone. There's the law. It's on the wall there. But, but it's going to be written in here. And you, don't, you can't read it in here. It, it, it is written in here in an organic kind of way to where it's programmed into your, into your consciousness. It is, it, is, it is programmed into your DNA to where it becomes a part of you. And so rather than, than sweat and struggle and think all the time, oh, I'm so trying so hard to please God, trying to make heaven my home, trying to make a hundred... And there is a struggle and there's a striving against sin and stuff. Not, not 100 years old, but 100%, I guess. Trying to make that too. But you know, you know that, that struggle, but instead of that, we get from the law is working its way from the inside out. It's because I want to do what God wants me to do, and he gives me the power to help me to do it. And so it's in here and not out there. So what Paul's talking about in, in this chapter Romans 8 is not necessarily a new concept. It's one that kind of existed under the old covenant, but they didn't see it so clearly. Because people like the old way because it gives us an objective standard with which to beat other people upside the head. He said this new law, this new thing would show them how to know God and how to love God. It would, it would give them a right relationship with God and, and God would forgive their sins and this new relationship with God is possible because of the death of Jesus. And after Jesus' ascension, God sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives in us as Christians. We are his, and it's the Holy Spirit who gives life. It's the Holy Spirit who makes people able to live and breathe and move. It's the Holy Spirit who gives spiritual life to Christians, and it's the Holy Spirit who raises folks like you and me from the dead. Yes, initially from spiritual death, but ultimately from physical death as well. Amen. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go, just cut to the Gospels for a minute. Think about, since this is mother, Mother's Day, think about some of those Bible stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that your mother read to you when you were at her knee. I was in my garage the other day, and I came across the Bible storybook that I had when I was a kid. And you got to realize I've been around for a minute, and my parents were a little bit older than some of my peers' parents. And so this book is old. And it has no cover on it. And, but I saw it, I was like, oh, I remember that book. My mother used to read me these Bible stories. Think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Think about Jesus. Think about what you learned in Sunday school if you went. Or think about what you heard, you know, around you in the world around you. Think about Jesus. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the very embodiment of the law of the spirit of life. He is that law that Paul's talking about in Romans 8. He is that incarnate. And there's several pictures in, in the gospel that, that, show, uh, that show these opposing laws in action. In Luke 7, Jesus is coming near the city, a city called Nain, right? And uh, there's a funeral procession that's coming out of the city. 
and this widow has lost her son. He's died, and Jesus stops the procession. Oh, that'd be cool if we had some, if we were so confident in the power of God that you know Harrison Ross would be trucking down the street, you know, with the limos and stuff, and we just walk and say, "Stop!" And then you get tackled by a bunch of funeral directors, and <laughs> but he just walks and he stops the procession, and and, uh, and and by his touch, say by his touch, by his and his words, he says, "Arise, get up." He displaces the power of death with the power of life, and that widow's son is raised from death. That's the power of the spirit of life over and against the power of sin and death. Not only that, but Jesus, the very embodiment of life, comes into the home of a man named Jairus. And in Mark 5, where death and mourning have, have filled the atmosphere, you know what it's like when, when the room is just filled with, with negativity because we've lost somebody, we're hurting, there's pain and there's grief and suffering. And so you can imagine it, walking into the midst of a, of a throng of grieving folks. Is, it must be a dark moment. He, death and mourning have filled the atmosphere, and Jesus, by his very presence, he scatters the powers of darkness, and his word brings to life that dead corpse. The life of God emanates from Jesus' very being and as he moves from place to place in the Gospels. And then there's this woman. and She's known in the King James Version as having an issue of blood. Or she evidently has some sort of hemorrhagic uh, issue with her body. She's, she's a bleeder of some sort and she has this condition and and uh, and uh, she, she finds in, in her encounter with Jesus the evidence of, of, of the law of the spirit of life over the law of spirit of death, of, of the law of the spirit of death. But the law of the spirit of death is working in her body and inflicting that sickness. Sickness and disease are, are the outcome in the absolute sense of the law and our failure to keep it. And, and they're, the, the out, they're the outcome of sin. I'm not saying to you that if you're sick today, it's because you've sinned, but sickness is in the world, sickness and disease because of sin in the generic sense. You understand what I'm saying? Because God didn't create us to suffer the way we suffer. It is the presence of sin that introduces these things, and they don't all go away because the guy with the special oil pl places his hand on you. God does heal when he sees fit, but there's coming a time when all of sickness and disease will be vanquished and banished and overcome by the ultimate power of life in Jesus Christ. But listen, this woman, she's, she's got this, this, this hemorrhagic thing, and for years she sought help from all kinds of doctors. You know how it is when you got a problem? Elder Bart said, I, I had a problem, and no, no one could seem to solve it. I've got a, that situation with my, don't let me, my, one of my biggest living illustrations is my 2004 expedition. It has problems that nobody can seem to solve them. Uh, I won't bore you with the details, but I took it to the shop to try to get some issues ironed out, and I got it partially. But it's just all these, there are all these mysteries. You know that about problems. You've got some problems. That you, you, you pray and you search, and this woman had gone from doctor. Some of you know about this as well. Because doctors are wonderful, but I realized when I was at my doctor, I'm looking at it, I said, this dude is guessing. <laughs> in that moment, I, 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 and I love my doctor. I've been with my doctor for 25 years. We like friends. When I, you know, he got a busy practice. When I come in there, he like smiles and sits down. So, Pastor, what's and we and he talks about his family and stuff. We have a great time. I don't go that often though, but 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 I, I he was I, he was I, I could tell and he said this and he was like oh yeah that's I said yeah right and he, 
And you know what? And he gave me some medicine, and it didn't work. And I, and, and then later on, whatever it was, went away by itself. So that's why I don't go that often, because a lot of times the stuff you go for, if you wait about a week, it's gone anyway. And I didn't have to go down and stand in line at CVS, right? But you know what it's like to go from place to place. This woman, you can imagine the pattern of the darkness and the, 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 the negativity, the pain, the, the suffering, the, the gloom, the, the pale, the, the, the pall that, that lays over your life when you've got a, a deep problem of physical infirmity, a, an illness, a pain, a, a condition, a situation that's chronic. Some of the acute ones are okay because they happen, they take you to the emergency room, they fix you. But you've got this stuff that goes on for years and years and years, and that's the way the devil tries to work in our lives, not just through the acute stuff, but through the chronic stuff, through the little annoyances, through the little unresolved issues in our lives that go on for years and years and years. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is Lord of the acute trauma, and Jesus is Lord of the chronic trauma. Jesus is Lord over all of it. So this woman, she says, she hears, she got this, this crazy idea. And I say that tongue-in-cheek. She says, I heard about this man named Jesus. And I heard that this man named Jesus, that when he, the people that he touches and speaks to that, that, that are sick, they, they walk away well. I heard that this man named Jesus has raised some folks from the dead. I heard this man named Jesus has power over evil spirits. She said, if I can just get to him, if I can just get to him. And we need, we need to be that way about, about the things of the Lord. Man, if I can just get into your word, Lord, if I can just get before you in prayer, if I can just get to church. He says, if I can, she said, if I could get, she said, if I could just, she says, all this crowd, I got to touch him, I got to touch him, I got to touch him. But all these people are crowding around him. The way y'all going to crowd around me after service because you want to say hi, right? No. I'd be chasing, I'd be chasing y'all out. Hey, before I say hi, before you leave. She said, if I can just, I can get down on the floor, get down. And they'd say, who's this woman crawling on the floor? And why is that preacher on his knees up there on the thing? And she said, if I could just touch the edge, the hem of his robe, if I could just get in there. I believe that there's enough power and enough life and enough light in the Savior that if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. I will be healed. And so she gets through there, and she, she reaches through, and she touches his, the hem of his robe, and the law of the spirit of life goes into operation, and some power flows out of him. And he said, wait, he said, whoa, who touched me? And they said, Jesus, all these folk. Folks, you talking about who touched you? It's like you guys get all cagey when you're in the crowd. Don't get, don't get in my personal space. <laughs> in some places, you ain't got no personal space. Right. Talking about the RTD, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you've been in L.A. for a while. He said, who touched me? He said, Jesus, who talking about who touched you? All these people. He said, I felt, some, I felt the power. I felt the, there was a power exchange, a transfer. It was like D.C., direct current. It was something about the power of the law of the spirit of life in me in that moment when she touched me. It flowed out and it flowed into her body, kind of like electrocution, kind of like an electric shock. You know, you know that picture, right, of somebody touching something and then they do it where they all turn blue and look like little lightning and stuff. And what happens is that source of bleeding, whatever it was, whatever the cause was for all those years in that moment, it dried up and it ceased to be and she went away whole. I'm so glad that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there are a lot of areas where the law of sin and death has raised its ugly head in our lives. 
And the law of the spirit of life still supersedes and trumps that law. Oh, I think about it. Before I let, I let this go, I have, to, I have to think about, talk about the resurrection. Because you want to talk about the law of the spirit of life over and above the law of sin and death. Oh, the devil thought he had Jesus. The Jewish rulers thought they had him under control. The Roman authorities thought they had, they had addressed the issue and the problem. And they put him up for this mock trial and, and convict him. And he's crucified there on that cross. He dies. He's entombed. He's in that grave. And then on the third day, something happens. Up to that point, he's absorbed and taken unto his body all the sins of humanity. I want you to remember something, that when Jesus hung on that cross, the sins that you haven't even committed yet, they were on that cross with him. The ones you're thinking about right now, the ones that you're committing right now because you're thinking bad about me because I'm up here. That sin was on the cross when Jesus died. Some of you thinking, you're getting mad because you say, I'm hungry, and I know they got some food back there. That sin was on the cross. Oh, but listen, 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 listen. In that moment, the law of sin and death said, uh-huh, we got him because all of the sin is, has been placed on him and he's been, he's, the penalty of that sin is death and he has died. He has paid the price. He has, he has suffered the consequences not, uh, not of his sin because he, 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 there was no sin. Jesus knew no sin. But he suffered the consequences of your sin and my sin, past, present, and future. And in that moment, he dies and is put in that cross in that tomb, rather, but on the third day, I said on the third day, it was early on one Sunday morning. Okay, let me put it like this. It was early one morning. Uh, it, was, it was early on a Sunday morning. Jesus, I said early. It was early one Sunday. You know, Chrissy, we got to take it to the cross, all right? <laughs> But it was early on, one, on that Sunday morning, the law of the spirit of life kicked in. And no grave could hold his body down because, yes, there was a law of sin and death, but a higher law kicked in. It was the, it was the lift of, of, of the spiritual realm that counteracted the gravity of sin. And the law of the spirit of life lifted J Jesus from the dead. And so now, as this wrap, bring this to a, a, a fitting conclusion this morning. Now, because of what Jesus has done, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. You are not bound by sin's power. You are not bound by its penalty. You are freed and forgiven of the penalty, but you have been released from its power. You don't have to live in sin anymore. And your life is not an ongoing circus of reciprocity where you mess up and receive in your life the consequences and penalties for that, and you do that over and over again. In other words, because the principle of sin is lethal. Sin is ugly. That's why God is, that's why Jesus is desiring to liberate us and, and deliver us from sin and remove sin from our lives. Why? Because sin is kind of like spiritual kryptonite or something. It, it is not in our best interest. We were not created to sin. Sin is behavior that is outside the realm of God's created order and his design for you as a human being. Do you understand what I'm saying? God didn't design folks to get blind, mad, drunk, and go jump in a sedan and careen down the highway and kill five or six people. God didn't create people to abuse their family members. That wasn't his intent. When he made, I'm going to make people, and you know what? I think it'll be cool to watch them beat up on each other. 
God didn't make people to shoot and kill each other. He didn't make folks to, to lie and steal and cheat. He didn't make folks to, 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 to live their lives in, in, in all kinds of sexual confusion and disillusion and some sort of never-ending search for, for meaning in an area that, that, that he has designed in a particular way. He didn't make you for that. He didn't make you to live that crazy life that you used to live before you became a Christian. Now, the possibility exists that for you, you can say that in my life, there is no condemnation. And if you're a believer today, again, ask yourself what part of no don't you understand? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He didn't say there is less condemnation. He said there is I, I, there might be someone here this morning that's failed in, in your marriage. I want to reassure you that Jesus doesn't condemn you. You may be struggling to overcome an addiction in your life. Jesus does not condemn you. You've made bad choices in the past intentionally. I'm not talking about even just the, the, the innocent mistakes, but you intentionally with both eyes wide open, walked into situations, you made bad choices, but God, your creator, does not condemn you in Jesus Christ. And you may have a criminal record. You've done some things you're not ashamed of. You're not proud of some things that you're ashamed of, but God does not condemn you. If you are in Christ, my friend, there is no condemnation. And that is the condition. There is no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul's not saying everybody just gets a free pass, anything goes. He's saying here's the safe place. This is where life is found, in Christ. So it's the law of the Spirit who gives life that sets us free from the law of sin and death. 